here with you. And uh, many of you don't know me personally. I believe uh, the international uh, team and students here do know me. Uh, I had the privilege of preaching at the international retreat a couple of weeks ago, and then some guys from the soccer team also. So um, there are not many here, but um, so I thought it would be fitting to go back to the fall of 2008 in order for you to have a better grasp of who I am. Uh, now, I didn't get saved in 2008, nor was I born in 2008. <laughs> but that was the year I started classes here at TMU. It was definitely a very special time in my life. However, certain things started unraveling, going beyond the control that I had and as the semester unfolded. My sense of security suddenly disappeared. I was no longer in a position uh, to clutch onto things and to stockpile resources for the next day. Despite my partner's personal efforts, circumstances began struggling my mind. My emotions were being choked by uncertainties to the point that without any warning, my hands started shaking and feeling and my heart started beating rapidly. I couldn't take it any longer, nor could I hide it anymore. I was worried. And so are many of you this morning. Perhaps you're not shaking. Perhaps you don't consider yourself an anxious person. Or even worse, you don't want to admit the fact that you're struggling with anxiety. But if I were to somehow tabulate all the sins in this campus, do you know that worry might very well be at the top of the list? We treat worry as such natural response to our problems that we don't even consider it a sin. But it is a sin. And that's good. You know what's a, why that's good? Because it means that God can forgive us and help us conquer it. Worry is no respectable sin, though. When we worry, we're actually thinking, God, I know you mean well by what you say, but I'm sure, I'm not sure you can pull it off. I am better off by myself than with your presence and care. Anxiety is a blatant distrust of the power and love of God. So that's why in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, and that's the passage we're going to be studying this morning. And as a disclaimer, I'm sorry to the international uh, students because they heard me about this, uh, talking about this before, but uh, I reworked it and I put it together in one, one message. So, um, but in this, this passage, Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Jesus tells us not to worry, not once, but three times. And he gives us four reasons why not to worry. Four reasons why not to worry. And I love this about Jesus. He, he's not concerned to produce a certain emotional atmosphere only. He reasons with us. Do you understand that? He reasons with us. And that alone is a manifestation of his grace. He doesn't just give us commands that we can obey. He wants to get to our hearts and change our ambitions radically. And that alone comes from a gracious God. 
So open your Bibles to Matthew 6, and let's go through this passage and see four reasons why not to worry. The first reason is that worry is fatherless. Worry is fatherless. Verses 25 to 26. The Word of God says, Therefore I tell you, this is Jesus talking, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the earth, consider them. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, my wife and I have a one-year-old baby, as uh, Harry said before, and he never worries what he's going to eat next, or whether he will have clothes, or a bed, or something to drink, though sometimes I'll, I will selfishly uh, want him to worry a little bit so I can save some money, but in all seriousness, my son never stops to think whether or not he will have enough food the next day. He doesn't wake up in the middle of the night, comes to my bed and says, hey dad, papa, do we have enough formula? <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't. He knows out of this one year of living experience that I will provide for him no matter what. And I don't even come close to God as being faithful. Yet, students, how often do we fail to believe that God is going to provide for us as well as the average father does? Later in the same book, in uh, Matthew 7, verses 9 to 11, Jesus says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So what Jesus is saying is, look at the birds for a second. They don't just get together and say, hey, listen, we have to come up with a strategy here to stay alive. We have to put it together. You go to the other, sea of, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and, and find a bigger nest, perhaps a two-story nest so that we can store more worms. No, you don't see the birds doing that. Birds have no self-consciousness or ability to reason. They do not work to grow their food, let alone grow anxious over it. The book of Job uh, 38, 41, and Psalms 147 tell us that the baby birds cried out to God for their food, and God provides for them. Now, this is not a, an excuse for laziness. You won't see a bird standing out at the edge of a tree with its wide, uh, with its mouth wide open, just waiting for a worm to fall out of the sky. God feeds birds through the instincts that tell them where to find food. They work hard for it, though. They work hard. They're always busy searching. They are always migrating from season to season, preparing their nests, caring for the young, teaching them how to fly, and so on. 
But worry is unnecessary even for the hard work. How much less should we worry about? Jesus put it this way in another passage in Matthew 10, 29 and 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many, many sparrows. Listen, when God says he will provide, he means that. He means that. Let the birds be your preachers. God is feeding them. Let their singing in the morning remind you of God's abundant provision. May it stop hold any worry you might have. For if the one who feeds the birds is your Heavenly Father, but, but their Creator, then how unnecessary your anxiety becomes. He is indeed the Creator, our Creator, but He's more than that. He's our God and Father through and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you see yourself as his child, you know that God will inevitably care for you. May your soul find comfort in this truth. Your Father, who is in heaven, controls all things, all things, on behalf of his children. Now, Worry is not only fatherless, verses 25 to 26. In verses 27 to 30, Jesus teaches us that worry is fruitless. Not only fatherless, worry is fruitless. Listen to verse 27, Jesus says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? Now, the, the question, the, this question's power lies in its absurdity. Of course, worry cannot add an hour to one's life. Worry is absolutely unable to lengthen life. It's pointless. It's futile. I'm sure you never looked back on the hard times last semester and thought, hmm, I don't know how I would have made it through that if I hadn't worried. I should have worried a little bit more. You never do that. Worry is useless, completely useless. And to demonstrate this, I want you to think deeply, deeply right now where you are, on that issue that you easily grow anxious over, okay? You know what it is. I don't know what it is. God knows what it is. But I want you to think deeply right now that, okay? For some, this might be their career, this might be their GPA, their scholarships, right? their loans. For others, this might be their job security after graduation, or perhaps your relationship with someone, or perhaps your athletic performance. For some that are not students, this might be the salvation of your kid, right? Now, I want you to hold on to that thought and worry for that next five seconds with all your strength and all your effort. Okay, I will count to five, okay? Just go, go, go. 
change the circumstances. In fact, it might be debilitating for some of you. It will drain your life out of you. There is nothing, listen, there is nothing that you have found or will find during this week that will change the, Lord, the days that the Lord has already written for you. Nothing. And to illustrate God's providence and control over our lives, Jesus directs our attention in verses 28 and 30 to the lilies of the field. Or perhaps this is a reference to the wildflowers or just grass in general. Listen what it says. Consider, take a moment, take, take a look to the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of this. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? For some people, the most important place in their whole wide world is their closet. And now I'm not just talking about girls. <laughs> Instead of being afraid, we won't have anything to wear. A major concern in biblical times. We fear not being able to look our best. Right? So we spend hours choosing our clothes. Now, once you get married, I guess it's easier, at least for men. My, my wife just calls me and chooses the, the, the clothes that I need to, to wear. But um, we can spend hours, right? But Jesus says, hey, if you want to talk about fancy clothing, Learn carefully from the wildflowers. Learn from them. You won't find one making fancy sewing and saying, ah, I've been a scarlet for two whole days now. I think I would like to be lavender tomorrow. <laughs> no. You won't find that. Just learn from the wildflowers. God adorns wild vegetation, which has no will of its own, to labor like the birds of the air that we just read about. And he adores them with beauty that at times surpasses the greater splendor of human clothing. That's what the verse is saying. Now, plants prove to be even more fragile than birds and more short-lived than humans. In fact, in ancient times, they used to cut them and use them as fuel. It was the old way of baking bread. Now, if, listen, if God lavishes such a concern over a temporary source of fuel, how much more does he care for us? How much more does he care for us? Does he care for you? If you believe in God, you need to draw this conclusion. God delights to adorn things. It's his delight. I don't know why he made grass. I don't find it appealing. So it's nice here to have some grass in Southern California, right? But I don't know why he made grass, and I don't know the purpose behind it. But he loves to adorn. So why need you worry? Worry is fruitless. It doesn't do you any good. It's completely useless. 
serves no useful purpose. Quite the contrary, it will only make you miserable when you try to deal with things. Now, some of you I know might be thinking right now, because this is a big audience, some of you might be thinking, uh, okay, Lucas, what you're saying is really nice. I, I look at the grass and it's, it's quite nice here. But God has not adorned me. Are you sure? Are you sure God has not adorned you? Where have you ever seen a disciple of Jesus who did not have the adornment that he needed to do what God has called him to do? You are the object of his extreme delight. Why wouldn't he care for you? If he cares for grass, why wouldn't he care for you? He delights. He delights in you. So he will pursue you and keep on adorning you so that you may accomplish his will. Jesus keeps on going and he says, worry is not only fatherless, worry is not only fruitless, worry is faithless. Those are in verses 31 to 33. Worry is faithless. Therefore, do not be anxious. Again, we find a command saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. <coughs> Worry is faithless. He basically puts us on the same level with the world of unbelievers. The Gentile, Jesus says, put their hopes and expectations in things they can enjoy now. They have nothing to leave but the present. So they measure, they go on in life measuring their own success in terms of food, drink, and clothing. They live for this, they seek this earnestly, and they want this continually. 1 Corinthians 15.32 says, Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But for those who do know and do have a Heavenly Father who knows all our needs, as verse 32 says, it is unreasonable to worry. He's aware of our needs even before you ask Him. In chapter uh, 6, verse 8 says, Do not be like them, for your father, again, knows what you need before you ask him. So worry basically is inconsistent with our proclamation of faith. We might as well call ourselves atheists, since we live like God doesn't really exist. Worrisome, a direct affront to God. He strikes a blow at the person and character of our loving Father. 
Listen, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty mind-blowing and at the same time pretty ridiculous that we believe that God can meet us in the midst of our messy lives, right? He can redeem us from our sin. He can take us from hell into heaven. He can transfer us into the kingdom of His beloved Son and give us eternal life fellowship with Him forever. But we just don't think that He can get us through the next couple of days. Doesn't that bother you? What a slap this is in the face of God. You know what? Openly, anxiety shows that we are too close to the world and too far from God. That's what it shows. It means that we don't put Him first, but instead we put all these things in verse 33 in front of Him. Verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. It is as if Jesus were saying, Hey, if you want to worry, okay, if you want to worry, I will tell you what to worry about. Worry about your relationship to the Father. Look, we're all going to die. Okay? If you don't know that, I'm letting you know right now. We're going to die. But there is more to life than just living. So don't make your singular goals just to stay alive. Because you know what? You will fail. You will fail. Trust that God will give you all these things. That is, the food and drink and clothes to live. And be consumed with the kingdom. Pursue God's reign over your life. Introduce more people to the king. Train people to live under his authority. This is the priority of priorities. This should be your priority and nothing else. Worry does nothing except marginalize God and his kingdom. So when you worry, when you fail to trust in God, rush into scripture, reading, and meditation. Rush. Run. Get your Bible. Meditate. Read. Take your time to study His Word to find out how He has supplied the needs of His people in the past. That will increase your faith for the future because you belong to Him. Basically, just be unlike the unbeliever. Be unlike the unbeliever, for God is for you, not against you. He knows all about you as your father, and he's watching carefully over you. Now, where is fatherless, where is fruitless, where is faithless, and last but not least, where is foolish? Verse 34. Worry is foolish. In verse 33, Jesus just hammers the death nail in worry. He says, therefore, do 
Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What is he saying? What Jesus is basically saying is don't worry about the future. Even though it will have its share of problems, they have a way of working themselves out of, out of, out of time. Just deal with them as they come. For, there's no way to solve them in advance. There's no way. Providing for tomorrow is good. Okay, I'm not saying it's bad. Providing for tomorrow is good. But worrying about tomorrow is a sin because God is the God of tomorrow just as He is the God of today. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It is not of our concern what tomorrow will bring, for we do not know what tomorrow will bring. James 4.13 Plus, you never run out of tomorrows. Right? So don't misappropriate, don't take God's allotted travels for tomorrow. Don't bring them forward into today in the form of anxiety. Rather, concentrate on the fact that God's mercies are new every day. And applies today's resources to today's needs, or you will lose today's joy. By worrying about tomorrow, many of us miss the victory. God will give us today. And that's not fair to him. Psalm 118 and 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us what? Rejoice and be glad in it. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. God gives you, each one of you, the glorious gift of life today. Don't push yourself into the future and forfeit today's joy over some tomorrow that may never happen. Today is all you really have. Tomorrow belongs to God and God alone. So don't try to steal what is His, nor fail to use what has been given to you today. Realize that God has appointed to each day its portion of pleasure and trouble. Now, have you ever tried to carry too many bags of groceries at the same time? I'm guilty of that. I carry in all the bags at the same time. Okay? It doesn't matter how many they are. I will strap five or six plastics bags to each wrist and load myself down. And yes, there is a part of me that wants to demonstrate my wife how manly I am. <laughs> But, but most of the time, okay, I just simply want to take the less amount of trips from the car to the kitchen. There's only one problem though. I have spilled eggs and bruised fruits. Okay? I just carry too much baggage at once. So learn to take multiple trips instead of one. Jesus tells you to carry today's bags today and make a fresh trip tomorrow. Now, don't apply this to groceries because everything might be multiplied tomorrow. <laughs> but 
He gives you what you need when you need it. But if we worry about our future, now, we double our pain without having the grace to deal with it. For God only gives His grace a day at a time as it is needed, not as, as it may be anticipated. When tomorrow does bring new trouble, you know what? There will be new grace to you. That's an important principle to learn. When tomorrow does bring new trouble, there will be new grace to you. And this is perhaps the, the lesson which many of us need to learn. That not only we must divide and learn to divide up our life in this world into periods of 24 hours, we must divide our relationship to God in exactly the same way. What I mean by that is that we confidently believe God in the general, right? In our salvation, being a sovereign God from, earth, from the beginning to end, for a whole of our life. But we do not believe Him in the particular sections of our life. We must learn to take things to God as they arise. Do not anticipate God. Do not wonder, what is God, what is God going to ask me to do tomorrow? Don't wonder that. Live obediently day by day. This is all you have. Do what God asks you to do every single day. Yes? You know what? Tomorrow we'll have trouble. For some, that may be one trial, two trials. For some, that may be devastating tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, right? It is unavoidable. Tomorrow will have trouble. But just as it is foolish to try to live a problem-free life, it is unwise to store grace against the future. God gives grace to us in parts and portions daily So we must learn to leave the future entirely in God's hand and use today's grace for today's troubles. Someone once said, Worry doesn't rob tomorrow of its sorrow. It robs today of its strength. Don't let this happen to you. Learning wisdom to take your days one by one as they come. Forget yesterday and tomorrow and rely upon God day by day, clinging to Him for the particular needs of each single day. Believe that God will be God tomorrow. Believe that God will be God tomorrow. Leave it to Him. Leave it entirely with Him confident and assured that He will always be going before you. Don't anticipate God. Turn to Him and you will find that He's there and He knows all about it and knows all about you. Place everything in your life in the context of your Christian life. 
stand as a lighthouse in the surrounding gloom of this age. May Christ be all in the middle of your anxiety and worry. Because no, no matter what happens tomorrow, Jesus will meet you there with new mercies. That's all you know. Tomorrow, Jesus will meet you there with new mercies. Now, before we end chapter, I would like for you to take a moment now and pray to the Lord. You know that he sees, and you see that he knows. You believe that he cares for you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. You belong to him, you're his child. So, I would like to take the next five minutes, and you take those five minutes, to argue with your soul in prayer, casting that unexplainable burden to the Lord. Pray to the Lord, Lord, give me the victory that only belongs to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Take these five minutes and pray to me.